1: Welcome to MLB Daily, your one-stop shop for daily baseball content. I am LJ LaFura, and alongside me I've got Brandon Karam. We are a belly-up sports podcast. We are what they aren't. This is our Memorial Day review. The race to Memorial Day is for, officially over, but first, just a quick reminder and shout-out of why we care about today all of the people who served for us and didn't make it home. Thank you. Brandon, how you doing?
2: Doing good, LJ. Uh, You know, of course, uh, Memorial Day is a very important day uh, as an American citizen, and I'm, I'm glad that we do recognize it the way that uh, we do, but... um,
1: It's certainly not just a long weekend.
2: Yeah, it's, it is certainly not just a long weekend. Sure. And as for the baseball consequences of it, LJ, I heard a stat today on MLB Network regarding Memorial Day. So basically, taking every full season since 2015, I think is what they did. So taking the 2020 season out, 2019 through 2015. Out of the 30 teams that made the playoffs in those season, those seasons combined, 24 of them were leading their division on Memorial Day. Wow! It, it just shows how important that it, the standings are from where we are right now in the season.
1: It is, and it's not necessarily like you're going to have this easy time coasting through if you get to it. It's not like we're saying this is like, all right, if you're up with like three-quarters of the season gone, you're going to be totally fine, which you would be. However, this isn't about that. This is about sending a message, setting a tone for the season, because it's, it's even the same way for most players. You talk about 170 to 200 at-bats being the indicator of how well your season is going to go. I mean, of course there is room for error. However, the majority of the time within those first 200 at bats, you're going to figure out what numbers you're actually going to have that year. You're going to figure out how good these players are going to perform. So it's the same thing for these teams. You're going to see who's putting up runs early in the year. You're going to see, who's giving up the most runs, how the defense is, you're going to get all of these indicators of how things are going to go all season long in these first 50 some odd games.
2: Yeah, uh, it's certainly a big enough sample size. And, you know, I absolutely agree. We're not saying that just because these teams are leading right now, it's a cakewalk for them, but we have a pretty big sample size. So we know what teams are are good this year, what teams we can project out to be good. Of course, there's still so much baseball left to be played in. This is not saying that those teams are automatically locked into playoff spots or anything. But we know who the good teams are. We know who who is struggling um, right now. And certainly a lot can change. But as for now... I mean, we have a lot to look at with the standings, and I'm sure this week we're going to be doing a lot of uh, deep dives into that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, certainly, but first off, we have quite a few rather interesting games here today. Some that really stunk, I'm not going to lie, it's kind of a rough day sports-wise, but nonetheless, we will march on. Brandon, I believe you have the top of this show.
2: Yeah, uh, I got the first two games. Uh, first, we're doing the Mets and the Diamondbacks. Jacob DeGrom on the mound for New York. Uh, the Mets open up the scoring bottom three, or, or excuse me, top three. Uh, Pete Alonso single, scores two. And then top four, Jacob DeGrom helps his own cause. Pitchers who rake RBI single uh, to make it three, nothing top seven Pete Alonzo to run Jack Uh, his fourth RBI of the game makes it five nothing Mets a bottom seven though uh, they the Diamondbacks are able to get a couple of runs off of Mets reliever Trevor May they get a home run from Eduardo Escobar and then they get that other run on a Josh Reddick single 5-2 at that point. But then Billy McKinney goes deep for the Mets outfielder that they recently traded for due to the their lack of uh, depth because everyone's been getting hurt over here with the Mets. But nonetheless, uh, that that would give them a six to two lead. The Mets win by that score. The win to Jacob Degrom six innings, two hits, no runs, eight Ks. <laughs> I mean, he was he looked really really good only goes six innings, of course, but LJ, he only threw 70
1: pitches. Yeah, you know, you don't, you don't, if you don't need to make him go countless innings early in the season, why would you? This is a team, again, we're saying, setting a tone. This team is five games above 500, not great. However, a three and a half game in the division is solid at, at bare minimum is solid. So You know, you don't want to push things, push the envelope too much when you don't have to. You're better off keeping things concentrated and working out all the way into the season.
2: Yeah. And the Mets are a team certainly that, uh, while they are in the top spot, I think that they have underperformed what they're capable of with the amount of talent that they have on the IL right now.
1: Yeah. I was going to say. I I think there's only so much that they can do when they don't have actual major leaguers in their outfield. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, no offense. Cameron Maben, no thank you. Like, that's off the top of my head. Like, that's probably the most experienced major leaguer that's not, like, 35 and completely out of their career at this point. Like, this is going to be their last stop. Other than Uh, that, I can't think of anything
2: is a solid option but other than nope. that it's it's rough
1: who'd you say i'm sorry
2: dom smith
1: oh yeah but i don't know do i do we really consider Dom smith an outfielder it could be crazy but
2: oh uh, i, don't I know, mean no yeah you are right he prototypical, does
1: prototypical prototypical build of like if pete Alonso didn't exist this guy's a full-time first baseman
2: yeah he's it's safe to say Dom Smith will never
1: see center field. <laughs> no. What's his D war right now? Oh, it's uh, not bad. He's had a, he's, he's, he's batting a zero, right? Now. He's got a zero right now. Um,
2: I would hope he's not batting a zero.
1: He's batting a zero. Yes. He's batting a big fat zero out there. Um, negative Um, 0.3 the year before. Got up as high as a uh, negative 0.8 back in 2017, his rookie year. So this is certainly not somebody you'd love to see in your outfield. However, if you have to do it, you have to do it. I mean, there's limited, they have limited outfielders right now. They have limited time at first base, but you want this guy's bat in your lineup. This is a guy who had a 993 OPS last year and I think we'll consistently be able to get into that 800 range year after year throughout his prime years. This guy's 26. You're going to have a couple more really good years out of him. You want him in the lineup and you want Pete Alonso in that lineup too, when he's healthy. The
2: the loss in this game goes to Merrill Kelly. Now two and six on the year. He goes six and two thirds, nine hits, five runs and six strikeouts all right the next game is the nationals and the braves the braves score four in the first two innings bottom one they get a sack fly from dansby swanson and then a two rbi single from william contreras bottom two ronald acuna jr goes deep his 16th homer of the year to extend the Braves lead to 4-0. Top four, Josh Bell uh, homers uh, for the Nationals. That puts them on the board 4-2 to two at that point. Joe Ross, pitchers who rate RBI single uh, to make it 4-3. to three. Bottom six, Guillermo Heredia extends the lead for Atlanta to 5-3 with an RBI single, and that would be your final score. Charlie Moore in five innings, six hits, three runs, six strikeouts give him the win. The loss to Joe Ross, five innings, three hits, four runs, and seven strikeouts. And Will Smith picks up his ninth save on the year for Atlanta. Uh, Next
1: up, we have the Twins and the Orioles here. The Twins got scoring going with one run in the third. Ryan Mountcastle with Homer in the fifth to tie this ball game up, and that would be enough to send us into extras. Top of the 10th, Adam Plutko puts a wild pitch into the dirt, which allows Rob Reifstader to score the go-ahead run, and then Jorge Polanco sends his fifth home run out of the ballpark to make this 3-1 Minnesota top of the 10th or bottom of the 10th excuse me dj stewart doubles driving in the inherited runner but that's all baltimore can get and they fall to this minnesota twins team three to two give the win to taylor rogers starter jose barrios went eight innings allowing one earned run and six strikeouts the loss will go to adam plutko Jorge Lopez went six innings, allowing one earned run and seven strikeouts. Probably, if I can remember correctly, the bad beat of the day. And Hansel Robles will get his fourth save on the year. This moves Minnesota to 22 and 31, Baltimore to 17 and 37. And Brandon, this is now 14 straight that Baltimore has dropped with this extra innings loss.
2: LJ, it is amazing to me when I see teams, even te- even a team that's as bad talent-wise as is Baltimore, lose this many games in a row, especially in a sport like the MLB, where it seems like it's one of the hardest sports to predict on a, on a day-to-day basis, much easier to p- predict on a season-long basis than the other sports, uh, I would say. But to lose for essentially two plus weeks in a row every time out is amazing to me
1: yeah you know like the other thing you didn't mention there is i except maybe yeah except maybe the nfl it's the hardest sport to fake as well without getting caught yeah like i mean it would be easy to say that oh the orioles are just tanking they're just doing everything they can possibly to lose so the team can get a better and better farm system. No, you you can't do that and not have it actually look like you're not trying out there. This team is trying and can't even lock into a win over a two-week stretch or more than two weeks. See you wouldn't play every day. But a two-week stretch worth of games. And they have not been able to find a win. That's that's scary. Um yeah, I'm not sure where this is gonna, this series is gonna put Minnesota though. That's my thing. Because Minnesota, of course, I'm sorry, but there's no hope there, in my opinion. No, they they they're, no. they're, they're, they're done, Not only are they done in terms of being buried in their standings, I believe, they, yeah, they're currently last in their division, even past to Detroit right now. But there's just nothing good going on there. I mean, you have, you have the two guys that you needed to step up in Buxton and Berrios performing out of their minds, and then nobody else. There's literally nothing else going on there. So, you know, they're going to get a good ride of momentum into this. They may split their next series, but, I mean, enjoy it while it lasts, Minnesota fans, please. All right. I also, um, when I was doing scheduling here, put this very strategically with a 14th straight loss as we have another streak coming up.
2: Yes, um, the Yankees uh, and the Rays – the Rays scored one run each in the third, fourth, and fifth innings. Those coming from a Manny Margot double, Austin Meadows home run, and Randy Rosarena single. The Yankees' lone run came in the bottom of the seventh on a Miguel Andujar single. And uh, they dropped this one to Tampa 3-1. to one. You can give the win to Rich Hill. Five innings, three hits, two strikeouts, uh... He is, is just absolutely unstoppable against the Yankees this year. Has literally shut us down three times this year. It is amazing to me. Well, I feel like if you,
1: if you drag the right milkmaid out of the field and put her on a mound, she could probably shut down the Yankees th- right now.
2: The lost to, to a Jameson Tyone, five innings, five hits, three runs, and five strikeouts. JP Fire gets the save for Tampa, just further proving our theory that they are fine with literally every single person in that bullpen uh, saving a game. The, mil-
1: the, the milkmaid will pick up saves.
2: I mean, even, like, pretty sure they could do that against teams, not the Yankees, because the Rays just somehow churn out.
1: They do. I mean, anything. you know, honestly, and it's, like, it's gotten to the point where Whatever they have figured out how to do, isn't just their own homegrown prospects. I mean, you had that theory for years. um, Well, not really theory, but joke. We joke around of the fact that they have the only reason that the trop is so poorly run is because they have a secret underground pitching academy that they they put underneath it that they didn't want anyone to know about.
2: Yeah, that's where all their money goes.
1: That's where all the money goes. You can't. You can't run them through the factory. You can't run them through the gauntlet, the grueling tasks, the trials in the maze runner-esque um challenges that you put uh Sergio Romo and Diego Castillo through in order to get to the big leagues. You can't put JP Fire Eyes through that in two days. So they're just I have to I have to assume it's witchcraft at this point. Like that's the only thing I can turn to. Yeah. Uh or they've chloroformed all of these pictures and replaced them with robots and no one has noticed yet.
2: That's a little gruesome. <laughs> I don't know. I that would be a cool concept to test out.
1: Test out just 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 you know hide all of the kidnap a whole bunch of MLB players and get their power and like amplify it and put on something i think i just explained the exact plot of space jam but that's space okay jam
2: 2 coming out this summer right
1: Space Jam two is gonna be an absolute banger and i am so happy
2: did i hear right that mj is like it's like gonna make a special appearance in the movie
1: i haven't heard that i'm all for it you know i was i don't like lebron in any way shape or form i was not looking forward to it because space jam is one of my favorite movies I was not looking forward to seeing gonna it gonna make it cool. However, I got myself to watch the first trailer and I was hooked. Actually, I remember I was in my the parking lot of my barber that day. I watched that. Ralph. I go in and I start talking about it. Actually, I watched it twice in the car. I go in and start talking about it to him and he hadn't seen it. His um apprentice had seen it and he's like all right fine and we like stops the cut in the middle of it so he could put the uh trailer onto the tv so we could all watch it again i mean that trailer was beautiful the graphics are beautiful the Dwayne wade tribute the Dwayne wade lebron tri- dunk tribute beautiful that almost brought a tear to my eye it's enough to make a grown man cry <laughs> it's gonna be a to you. Okay. Where are we? Oh, it's me. Um, Yeah. So next up we got the White Sox and the Indians. They put together a double header today. First one, of course, not what you want to see in the first half of a double header went a little long here. They ended up tied five, five in seven innings, including two home runs by Cesar Hernandez for Cleveland. This one, of course, tied five, five through seven goes into an eighth inning where Jose Abreu brings in the inherited runner Billy Hamilton on a sack fly, and then Adam Eaton homers to make this an 8-5 game. Cleveland's able to add one more run in the bottom of the inning, but they lose this one 8-6. to Give the win to Cody Huer. Carlos Rodon went six innings, allowing five earned runs and eight strikeouts. The loss will go to James Karenshack Tristan McKenzie went five and a third, allowing five earned runs and 10 strikeouts. And the save will go to Aaron Bummer, his first on the year. It's kind of surprising to me he hasn't gotten one yet.
2: Uh, I mean, not really. They kind of have like a all star closer, and then like a bunch of other guys in there who,
1: yeah, but he has been one of their best performing guys. Like, yeah, you would have I mean, you would have thought that he would have lucked into one by now, you know?
2: Yeah, especially like, with the way that the stat is like, it can, yeah, you could can, you you can kind of luck into one. I see what you mean. Yeah,
1: like because like yeah, you have the situations where I mean, at least I am always of the standing. You you pitch you pitch if you're going to pitch your closer at all that day you pitch him in the ninth at most the tenth you don't save him any longer than that so you can have an extra innings game which ends up tied through nine tied through ten and then you end up with your seventh or eighth inning guy that didn't get in ends up with a save because he was the only guy that was left and just happened to be there but anyway I digress it was just a little disappointing that Bummer couldn't get a save before now.
2: Yeah, I don't know. The thing is, is like there's a really old baseball adage. It's like one of the unwritten rules that a lot of the managers still follow when it's you don't use your closer in a tie game uh, on the road in the ninth inning. Like you just don't do it. And the Yankees did it the other day against the Tigers, and they lose the game because of it. It's like – It's the one unwritten rule that, like, I kind of agree with. And it makes sense, especially with the way the extra inning rules are. Like, why bring in – like, LJ, tell me what sense it would make to use, like, a ground ball pitcher in the 10th when you could just use your strikeout guy. I mean, wouldn't you much rather have the guy who is your strikeout guy pitch the extra inning than – a guy who's going to induce contact, like that just seems like really, really basic strategy.
1: I mean, I feel like my thing is I play not to lose more than I'm playing to win when it gets into extra innings. In not, from a, not from a like lineup standpoint where I get conservative, that's the last spot to beat. However, I want to make sure I don't lose. If I'm going to lose, I want to lose as late in the game as possible. So I want to put in the most talented guy and make sure I don't lose as quickly as possible. It's just always been the way I looked at it. I mean, I think, yes, you don't, of course you want to avoid a contact player as much as possible. However, in this day and age, it's not like you only have one strikeout guy.
2: Yeah. I mean, it it was just the way that the Yankees handled it the other day. I just was, questioning it cuz they we we brought in a guy who was pretty much at the end of our bullpen and then we put him and we knew he was hurt we put him on the IL the very next day put in an injured relief pitcher in a save situation in, the, in extra innings and then he allows a walk-off home run what do you know
1: well we still have a second game to this doubleheader bottom of the second Bradley Zimmer singles and brings in Harold Ramirez and Billy Hamilton, or not, not Billy Hamilton, my bad, um, <clears throat> making this one nothing, Cleveland, sorry. Uh, Nick Madrigal then in the top of the third, singles to tie this game up, and then bottom three, Jose Ramirez sends his 13th home run to right center field, driving in two runs and winning this game 3-1 to one in favor of the Indians. Give the win to Phil Matone, Cal Quinn, Quantrill went three and a third allowing one earned run and five strikeouts the loss will go to Jimmy Lambert he went three and two thirds allowing three earned runs and the save will go to Emmanuel Classe his ninth Brandon I gotta ask here because I feel like now I've had enough time where I've really focused on it to figure out what I would like to do if I were a manager how do you handle the seven inning double hitters pitching wise like, uh, like in, schedule. In what way? Like, how would you schedule from a starting standpoint in bullpen management? You see the uh, what? The, it, what it I would.
2: If I have to use an opener, or just if if I have to go full full bullpen game, you can scratch seven innings out of your bullpen. And sure. the thing with with double headers is that most of the managers hate them because a lot of them end up getting split. Like more than half of the double headers end up being split. So you're more than likely going to get one. And I think a lot of managers know that. It's just, you know, trying to not waste too many arms. And it's all dependent on how many games you've had prior to that what with what your schedule is coming up et cetera. but you know i would totally be fine with having to go with a bullpen game rather than start a, start one of my guys in my rotation on short rest
1: you see i i you know i think that's one of the best things about the seven inning doubleheader is the fact that it gives you that type of flexibility teams are more than willing to go with bullpen games on nine inning days when they have to when they want to however it feels like a no-brainer to me especially if you have one of your like top two or three guys on the mound for the first game of the doubleheader you can pitch that guy even if he gives up for five earned runs if you don't want to screw up your momentum you can pitch that guy six innings or 100 pitches and Get the majority through that game, maybe only use one reliever that game, and then you only have to get through seven innings in the bullpen game. Like, that's a, that it doesn't seem like seven innings to nine innings is a difference that much of a difference, but it's pretty huge. That's at least at minimum one extra reliever that gets spared on that day that you have fresh going into whatever the next game may be.
2: Watching the seven inning doubleheaders, also just like it just seems like everything is more important Mm -hmm. and like in in a sense it is because the game is shorter every at-bat means more but when you get to like the fourth or fifth inning like normally you're like oh like we got time in the seven inning double headers like the fifth inning is like oh like we're, we're we're almost out of here like we're we're only nine outs away you know so I really yeah. like it. like I don't know it, it it like seems like like what I just said is probably like wow like you can count and like yes I understand that but just it it's a completely well, different feel as a fan I think cuz we're so we're so accustomed to the nine in the game.
1: Brendan Brandon spent a lot of time with the count on Sesame Street <laughs> back when he was a child that's why he's become so good at it that's why he's an economics major. It all it all comes together. You and the count must have been very good friends. Um But yeah, I think the other thing that's interesting, the other option here we didn't talk about is just treating this like a regular game. And I think that actually makes the more interesting game, in my opinion, when you treat the doubleheaders in the seven-inning games like they're a nine-inning game just shorter. Like you have, for example, that's what Alex Cora has been doing a lot of this year with the Red Sox is if they have a seven-inning game, He's pulling the guy, the starter, in the middle of the third. He's not letting him go too much, too deep into these games. He's not letting him, certainly not letting the guy go more than two times through the lineup because there's no need. It I think overall creates a lot more fresh and exciting pitching matchups and is overall a better pitched game than doing it where you have to kind of have the starter get through at least four if you're going to be successful long-term you can pull a guy after three and still feel kind of comfortable with yourself.
2: I mean, and not only can you pull a guy after three, look at today's situation with Carlos Rodon, they pull him after five and he allowed like five runs, right? Like that's yeah, six, six or no,
1: five. They, earned. They,
2: yeah. Or yeah. After six. So I mean, they were fine with, with a letting him go and still allowing a, quite a few runs because, like, at the same time, while you can pull them after three, if you don't want to waste the pitching, you know, why not let your starter go?
1: If you're within a couple of runs, like, if it's, like, if it's a 4 nothing game and the guy just let a runner on in the sixth inning, you kind of have to pull him. But if this is a 5-4 game, if this is a 6-5 game, you're gonna... You, I think you have to keep the guy out there because in the first game of the double header, a thing that you're typically known to split, I would much rather be focused on getting the most value into the second game and gritting out the first game, if I can.
2: Yeah. Absolutely. I agree. Well, uh, Let's move on to the next part of the recaps. Tigers and Brewers. Uh, This one was scoreless through the first five innings till the top of the sixth. Jonathan Scope of the Tigers drives home a run on a single to make it 1-0 in Detroit. Bottom six, Willie Adamas with a two-run home run to give the Brewers the lead 2-1. Akil Badu, top seven. LJ, this guy Is actually starting to turn a corner, maybe finally been doing something. Finally been been doing something. At least that's the way the way that the Tigers commentators were talking today. They were saying that he's been hitting the ball well. Now, I mean, I certainly hope so because he's a very fun player when he's going. Uh, He he is one of the fastest players in the league as well. Has some power. Hit his fifth home run of the year, top of the seventh. That tied the game at two. LJ, this one goes to extra innings until the backup shortstop, Luis Urias singles to uh, bring home the walk-off hit. You know, this is the guy who thought that he was going to be the future at shortstop for the the Brewers. Instead, they go and trade for uh, Willie Adamas, and he says, hey. You
1: You can't have too much defense. No. Never.
2: You know, it, it shocks me that the the Brewers just completely loaded up on a defensive talent this offseason because they they get Colton Wong, who is mainly a defense guy, but, you know, he's a good bat, but is a premier glove at second base. Yeah. They get uh, a Jackie Bradley Jr., who is probably the best outfielder Defensively, other than like a, a Kevin Kiermaier, and I could even argue that that Jackie Bradley's better than him. Yeah. Uh, and
1: and you're uh, adding that to Lorenzo Cain. Don't forget
0: that.
2: Yeah, like and a uh, Christian Yelich, he can handle his ground out there too as well. So you trade for a Willie Adamas then, and you're just creating this entire defensive team. And
1: wait a minute, who's playing center field in Miami? Sorry to interrupt you.
2: In Miami? Yeah. Darling Marte.
1: No, 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 no. In those Miami teams with Yelich. Oh. Because I know Stanton played right. And I don't think Azuna ever had the could have ever had the arm for center. It had to be Yelich, right? It's so you got so three. Wrong. If that's the case, I mean, yes. As soon as a goal lover, as soon as has got to be a goal lover in, in left center, field. Yeah.
2: It was, it was Christian in
1: center. So you, ha- yeah. So you have three, you have three center fielders. I mean, I don't get me wrong. I love those lineups. Honestly, any outfield that can give me three guys who can play a decent center field is something that is a lot of fun to see because they can just g- g- cover so much ground, even if one or two of the guys aren't at their best, even if they're not the best center fielder like they cover significant ground.
2: And what people aren't talking about is how good uh your your defense can complement your pitching. This is a team that has you know we talk about it pretty much a couple times a week how good this starting rotation is. You know, I feel like a lot of pitching stats is kind of dependent on your your defense. If they can save you a couple runs here and there, and are a solid uh, defensive team. It's going to make your your pitching numbers look a lot better than um, it, they they would be if it was just an average team uh, on on defense. So uh, you know these guys like Corbin Burns who pitched today, uh, and 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 a Woodruff, a uh, Devin Williams, Hayter, Freddie Peralta, all those guys are going to benefit from them kind of loading up on this defensive uh, lineup. And if they can get enough offense, this is a scary, scary team. I mean, the NL Central is looking like a three-headed monster now with the Cubs getting hot, the Cardinals have been there. And I really, really, really like this team and how they're built. And I think that if they can – get their offense hot at the right time, they're gonna be really hard to beat this summer.
1: That's not something you can count on if you're them though. You see, they have to go out and do something in my opinion. I don't think it's in the outfield because overall I think you've got something that could be really cool out there. You've pretty much locked in your middle infield. I'm blanking on who's playing first for them. Who's on first?
2: They have Kestin Hira first I'm round sure who's
1: for on first. Them.
2: Only a couple years ago. They also have Travis Shaw. Like, he can play a little first. Mayor of
1: Ding Dong City. Forgot about my guy. Didn't he just, like, yeah, he beat out a pretty decent double today. Um, Yeah, I mean, overall, I mean, if you could get something somewhere, I just don't know where that hole is. You got Yeah, you got Kira at first, Shaw at third. I'm not sure where the clear spot is to make a move for offense, but – I just don't, I look at this, I look at this lineup and I question whether they can actually pull something out because at the same time as you're like, if they get hot, if is a very scary word when you have uh, Corbin Burns and Brandon Woodruff, both with four years or including this year, four years left of service time with the team, you've got four years To capitalize on this, you have, I'm not sure how much longer Yelich is there, but if Yelich ever actually becomes anything more than a one-hit wonder, then you're going to have only a limited amount of time with him.
2: He's there through 2028, and his contract goes up to $26 a year starting next year through the end of 2028.
1: That might not age well, I'm not going to lie.
2: Or 2027, my bad. Oh no, 888 eight, eight, my bad. It doesn't go all the way on FanGraphs. The contract is so long. It doesn't show me everything on FanGraphs.
1: Do you think he's going to turn around and like actually be Christian Yelich? Uh like it just doesn't feel like I mean I know he's got a 107 OPS plus. He's still a major leaguer by all means. It does not feel like Christian Yelich up there.
2: No. He um, doesn't
1: feel like the guy who led the league in OPS plus two years in a row.
2: And a guy who was like...
1: A former MVP. Back to
2: three times silver slug. A guy who, like, for a couple years there, 18 and 19, you had to put him in, like, the top five players in the league.
1: Easily. He deserved... So, he earned that contract. No doubt about it. it yeah. Will it age well? No. But... I just, yeah, I just, I'm not, I, I look at him play right now. I don't know if there's something else going on. If the back is still something that they kind of were just like, okay, we can't figure out. So just deal with it or what, but it just doesn't look like the same player.
2: You know, I'm on his baseball Savant page here and I find something really interesting. Um, Teams have been throwing him a lot less fastballs this year. So in 2020, he saw 56% fastballs, 32% breaking pitches, and 12% off-speed pitches. It's down to 50% fastballs, 33% breaking pitches, 16% off-speed pitches. So they're not throwing them fastballs. They're throwing them more off-speed pitches. And, you know, maybe that was the change that that opposing pitchers needed to make was – you know, don't throw this guy as many fastballs. If we can throw him off speed, it's going to catch him off guard. And so far it has. Uh, and this is a guy who's always been able to hit fastballs well. And it's a very smart move by opposing teams to, you know, start to make this change. And we'll have to see how it goes through their, the rest of the year if they continue to keep this approach.
1: Shockingly right now.
0: When temperatures go down, the likelihood goes up that your furnace and other appliances go down with them. So don't risk a costly replacement. Stay comfortable with coverage on the appliances you depend on most with the Service Appliance Repair Program from Black Hills Energy. It's peace of mind
1: in a plan. Visit blackhillsenergy.com slash sign up to learn more. He had a 205 batting average played 58 games last year. I know he's been hurt and all. I I, I get that. However, he's currently looking at the worst st- season of his career in terms of um, slugging by a mile, dragging down the OPS. I mean, this could legitimately be his worst hitting season of his career if these first 79 played appearances have any indicator on that. And Like, you kind of, like, I guess maybe my outlook on this team would look better, would feel better if I felt better about Christian Yelich, but I just, I don't see enough on this team that makes me say, hey, these guys are going to be able to step it up and do things. You can't count on a team to just get hot when you have players that you need to capitalize on.
2: No, well uh let's keep going with the game recaps as we are um doing okay on time, but uh we still not are-
1: not, not not our best. Um all right, next up we got the Red Sox and the Astros. Um the Re- the Astros scored a lot of runs today, I'm not gonna lie. Uh we've got bottom of the second, Taylor Jones uh has a sacrifice fly that drives in a run, and then Miles Straw drives in one more to make it two-nothing. Houston, bottom of the third. Jose Altuve smashes a two-run home run off the left field foul pole, and at that point, it just it it already felt over. They uh, they get two more off of Eduardo Rodriguez in the fifth after he gets pulled, making this a six-nothing ball game, and they eventually go on to win eleven to two give the win to Jose Urquidy. He went six innings, allowing one earned run and nine strikeouts. The loss goes to Eduardo Rodriguez. He went four and two-thirds of an inning, allowing six earned runs and four strikeouts. You know, Brandon, I'm not going to overreact to this, because this is really the first time that they've gotten their doors kicked in this year. If 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 you erase that first, that ugly, ugly first series, which Doesn't didn't look at all like this team. This is the first time they've really gotten their butts kicked. So I'm not gonna put too much on this because it happens every now and then where you're just not you're not gonna come out great. Jose Arquidi pitched a phenomenal game. Really up until he pitched, he uh, left the game. He was dominating the game. It it was it was a really good effort in that sixth inning to get a run off of him.
2: Yeah, uh, Eddie Aces and Colton Brewer went out there today, and they clearly did not want to win. It's as simple as that.
1: No, I mean, you know, it's – yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not really sure where to stand with Eddie because – Colton Brewer
2: definitely didn't want to win.
1: Well, Colton Brewer, I mean, I I wasn't expecting a hell of a lot out of Colton Brewer. The dude just came up from Worcester. The dude barely – was relevant on the last two years teams which didn't have pitching so (laughs) I'm not sure what anyone expected of Colton Brewer other than being slightly better than Austin Bryce but he also got put into a screwed up situation Eddie left him with a very messy inning to finish up there but it was just it wasn't good Eduardo Rodriguez though had the second worst May in terms of ERA in the league Seven oh six. That's something to worry about.
2: Yeah, and I think I if I saw that stat correctly, Luis Castillo was the worst. I really
1: wish he was a Yankee because I would be so happy if that was the case. You guys should have traded for him, man.
2: Yeah, that's who you wanted. That uh, I'm You're happy happier
1: with Corey Kluber
2: every day. Well, um, um,
1: but yeah, no, I mean, you know his his peripherals look good, but at the end of the day, it does come to not come down to not allowing runs and he just he can't go deep and he's not and he's allowing a lot of runs since he's come back this year so it's just things need to turn around quickly for him because that's really the only hole that I have that I don't feel comfortable with if he can turn around and be a a decent four I will be fine but this isn't a decent four this is like a throwaway five is what he's turning he, he he the performance he's turning himself into.
2: Well lj I'm not sure if you've looked yet but if I did it correct it looks like the projected starting pitcher that me and you were gonna see yeah I know Sunday.
1: it's gonna be Garrett Cole at Eduardo Rodriguez.
2: No it will be Domingo Herman and Garrett Richards uh, which is an interesting yes. matchup. It looks like that that you guys are gonna avoid Cole uh,
1: as, yeah, because well, well, that's only going to be a day though, right? So they could pull him up.
2: So it looks like that he that the Yankees want Cole to go Thursday against Tampa, and then oh, okay. go uh, King Friday, Tyone Saturday, Herman Sunday, which is just the worst three to have against Boston. It is, you know, the fact that we don't even get a Monty start in, in there is. Nah. yeah
1: you know and you're and you're going against yeah i would say yeah i wouldn't feel be comfortable with
2: that we're probably gonna face if i if i look yeah you'd for... be
1: facing you'd be facing evaldi erod and then richards sunday
2: yeah uh i'm fine with the, i'm fine with those three as long as i'm not concerned about erod the yankees you know we've we've had no, a... you,
1: should, you, you shouldn't be you shouldn't be concerned about erod the other two, you probably should.
2: A Garrett Richards is he has a he has like one of the highest spin rates on his curveball and other. Garrett than-
1: Richards basically had back to back to back blow up starts to start in the year. Almost got like.
2: So that's just called being bad. No, it's not a blow up starts at that point. That's just back
1: to back to back blow up starts. You nearly had pitchforks and torches going to his house and then all of a sudden he turned into a stud and has pitched lights out since so i'm not worried about him nathan Ivaldi, i genuinely have no clue how he's got a 40 ra It hasn't felt like that you know yeah so i feel comfortable with both of those guys anyway where are we
2: on to the dodgers and the cardinals um This game started out with four home runs. That was the first four scoring events. The first two coming from the Dodgers in the bottom of the second, Gavin Lux and Chris Taylor. Then top six, Justin Williams and a Dylan Carlson both go yard for St. Louis. That Carlson home run puts the Cardinals up three to two bottom of the sixth Will Smith with a bases loaded walk to tie the game at three Chris Taylor with a three-run double after a really long at-bat to break the game open give the Dodgers a 6-3 lead. Tyler O'Neill, top seven, goes yard to cut the lead to two, his 12th, or his 12th homer of the year. But then bottom eight, the Dodgers offense piles it on. Gavin Lux goes deep for the second time on the night. Matt Beattie, the RBI man, singles. To drive in a run and then Mookie Betts RBI double to drive in one more. The Dodgers win nine four. The win to Trevor Bowers now six and three on the year. He goes six and two thirds, five hits, three earned, five strikeouts. Jack Flaherty got the start for St. Louis five innings, two hits, two earned, nine Ks. The loss goes to Ryan Helsley uh who's now three and three on the year he gets the hold and the loss uh you know the hold stat is really strange that i don't get how he gets a hold when he goes a third of an inning and allows two hits and two runs but that's
1: um so did he he got pulled did he get pulled
2: yeah uh yes yeah that must
1: that must was. be it then
2: but like yeah, I I don't I don't. I mean, when it. he
1: left when he left the game, technically it was still a save situation. However, once the inning was over, he had the loss.
2: Well, yeah, the the Dodgers win. They're Either that good. or it's a typo. No, no, it's definitely oh. not a typo. The MLB they they like never have these scoring errors. They it's like a thousand percent correct.
1: Are you saying the MLB never makes mistakes? Because I will call BS on that, sir.
2: No, they make mistakes, but like I feel like with their scoring and their box scores, it's all extremely official. I mean, they were able to track down to the run who scored the two millionth run in their league's history. Like that's impressive considering how many games happened in the 19th century and early 20th century.
1: Oh, sure. But like, I guess my point is that doesn't stop there from being a single-day system error where, like, the today something can get put in today's piece by accident.
2: Oh, sure,
1: yeah. After the, especially after the fact because like, if you print out the stuff, the managers get to check over the box score and everything. If you printed it out and had that after. But, at the end of the day, who knows? Are we ready for A's Mariners? Sure. All right. Tony Kemp gets this started off with a sacrifice fly, which brings in Chad Pinder making this one-nothing Oakland. Then we will fast forward into the top of the eighth, trailing four to two to Seattle in Seattle's favor. Seattle box in a run. And then Sean Murphy doubles, which ties this game at four piece. Top of the fifth, Arimas Garcia has a rbi single which drives in matt olsen the inherited runner and then in the bottom of the 10th with seattle trailing five to four ty france gets an rbi single and then tom murphy ends this thing on a sacrifice fly seattle wins this one six to five give the wind daniel zamora Logan Gilbert with the quality start here, six innings, allowing two earned runs and five strikeouts. The loss will be given to Lou Trevino as James Caprillian goes three and two-thirds of an inning, allowing four earned runs.
2: All right, on to the Phillies and the Reds. The Reds scored six runs across the first three innings. They got a home run from Max Schrock, a Tyler Naquin single, and a Kyle Farmer home run in the bottom of the fifth. Uh, Schrock would triple and what Kyle What's that?
1: What the Schrock is going on here? <laughs>
2: yeah, oh, very, RBIs. very good name. Uh, so yeah, home run in the in the second inning, triple in the fifth inning, both of course driving in runs. Uh, Kyle Farmer with single bottom five to make it 8-1 Cincinnati. Farmer then a doubles bottom seven uh, to make it 10-1. And then Shogo Akiyama ground out to make it 11-1, and that's your final. The Reds route the Phillies. Uh, nice to see the big red contraption put up a big offensive day once again.
1: You're shocking so- kidding me. This is awesome.
2: Wade Miley. With the win, six innings, six hits, one earned, and six Ks. Vince Velasquez with the loss, three innings, five hits, six earned, three runs.
1: Wade Miley certainly had a good Schrock in year, don't you think?
2: Yeah, threw a no hitter. Has uh, been
1: good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next up on our docket we've got the pirates and the royals i know that's the game that everyone here has been waiting patiently
2: it was on espn tonight so i mean
1: i'm very sorry for the espn team monday night baseball is just is this possibly the lowest caliber monday night game we've gotten
2: it might be the lowest quality national TV game, you know, excluding the ones that get put on MLB network. uh, Just just at face value, it was a bad matchup heading in, especially oh, yeah. because, like, it wasn't Brady Singer pitching for Kansas City, so you can't talk about, like, the young star or the young kid who could be a star. Pittsburgh is just, like, there. there isn't anything to talk about other than them being so incompetent at baseball that they allowed a player to get in a pickle between home and first when there was two outs and the whole time they could have just stepped on the base.
1: It's, you know, it wasn't their like brightest day. I mean, I just, I just don't, I just don't see where, I feel like if you're a Pirates fan at this point, you just have to laugh because like they've wasted so much time here. It's been pretty clear since like 2016 that this team wasn't going anywhere. Why is this like, why are they not like already rebuilt is my question. Like they should already be on their way up. And this-
2: Well, well when, when you have terrible ownership, uh, I mean, it just completely screws up the process because when the owners think that that you should be winning, I mean, the hardest thing in sports is self-evaluation. And like knowing this team cannot contend, it's everyone is so in over their head. They think that their team is in a much better spot than they actually are.
1: That team was never. In it. You're not in a good spot when you trade Garrett Cole and then go and trade for Chris Archer to be your ace.
2: No, and they certainly weren't in a good spot tonight, LJ. Were they?
1: No, they weren't. Brian Reynolds grounds out driving in the first run, making it it one nothing. Pittsburgh it didn't get much better from there Salvador Perez Hunter Dozier and Kelvin Gutierrez drive in three runs over the next two innings to give them their lead which didn't really go away Alberto Mondesi homers in the fifth and not even a Brian Reynolds home home run in the top of the eighth could stop the onslaught Kansas City beats Pittsburgh today seven to three Give the win to Mike Miner. He went six innings, allowing two earned runs and seven strikeouts. The loss will be given to Chad Cool. He went four innings, allowing three earned runs and five strikeouts. I would certainly not say that's cool.
2: No, not, not very cool. All right, on to the Cubs and Padres. Uh, the Padres get on the board first in the top of the second on a Will Myers single. Javi Baez then with a two-run home run in the bottom of the third uh, to make it 2-1. Patrick Wisdom shows off his wisdom by hitting a home run to make it a 3 3-1 Cubs. Chris Bryant goes yard bottom five, and it's a 5-1 Cubs lead. Fernando Tatis Jr. hits his 16th, of the home, 16th home run of the year in the top of the sixth to make it a 5-2. Patrick Wisdom, man, this guy is really smart. Second home run of the day uh, to make it 6-2 Chicago. And then Baez ends up going yard once again. Uh, the Cubs win 7-2. You can give the win... To the Cubs starter, Cole Stewart, five innings, three hits, no earned, and two Ks. Chris Paddock takes the loss, four and a third, six hits, five earned, six strikeouts.
1: And the Smarty Pants Award goes to
2: <laughs> Patrick Wisdom.
1: The man.
2: All right. Uh, last game is the Angels and the Giants. Uh, top two, Anthony Bemboom grounds into a force out uh, to score the first run of the game. Angels up one nothing. Bottom four, Evan a two-run homer, gives the Giants a 2-1 to lead. Lamonte Wade, bottom five, goes yard. Mauricio Dubon goes yard, bottom six, and San Francisco has a 4-1 lead. In the bottom of the seventh, they score two runs, one on a wild pitch, one on a Wilmer Flores RBI double, and the Giants go on to win 6-1. to Johnny Cueto got the start, uh, seven innings, one earned 5Ks. I'm going to talk more about him uh, coming up in a couple of minutes. Uh, The loss goes to Dylan Bundy, Uh, now 0-6 on the year. Uh, It's Okay. Hopefully we can get a win by August. Uh, you know, it's just <laughs> it's a slow process, but
1: they'll get there eventually.
2: Five and two thirds, five hits, four earned, five strikeouts. Uh for him. Remember,
1: Brandon, even a blind squirrel finds a nut every now and then.
2: Yeah, like, you know, if we can get one, you know, it's gonna be a the race to, to two wins is between a uh, Dylan Bundy and Luis Castillo. I think Castillo already got one. So
1: Brandon, I think Justin Verlander may get a to get two wins before them this season.
2: Chris, all right over under wins <laughs> combined between Dylan Bundy and Luis Castillo or combined between Chris Sale and Justin Verlander and Luis Severino I'll just I'll, I'll throw him Well in. I'll
1: give the other one
2: You'll take the 3 hurt stars
1: I'll take the 3 hurt stars that may be overconfidence on Chris Sale coming back and balling in July but
2: yeah Give me Chris Hill. Debbie is apparently going to pitch a sim game like today or tomorrow, and could begin his his rehab assignment next week. Which oh means- wow,
1: so he's pretty far along too. Yeah. Oh, definitely taking them then.
2: Yeah. No <laughs>
1: doubt. Justin, uh, you you could throw. I'm not sure if you'd throw in, but to make it fair, you could throw somebody in to even it out with Justin Verlander. I would still take that group.
2: Yeah, uh, absolutely. But uh, LJ, it's time we- for the PPP. Yeah, particular. It is
1: time for the PPP, particular players. People may care about our little fun name for our segment, which talks about stuff.
2: Where we highlight um, some guys to talk about.
1: They did some things. So LJ is eventually going to figure out where he started going with this statement and we'll just get underway. My first member of the PPP here will be Tristan McKenzie who today in Cleveland's game broke Corey Kluber's franchise record for consecutive strikeouts, being eight strikeouts in a row during today's game of his. I believe he had 10 strikeouts on the day. Eight of them were put together. Still, again, very young, has a lot of promise, and could be a very, very good addition to a team that already has guys I like to think are still very, very solid. I mean, Shane Beaver is one of the best in the American League. Um, Aaron Savali has pitched fantastic this year. And um, what's his face? Who am I forgetting? Zach Plezak. Zach, Zach Plezak, please, Zach, you know, didn't have a great start to the year. But I don't think that's much of a thing to worry about going down the stretch because he looked so good, especially last year. I think he's going to work himself out. Again, this guy's 26. He's only had one full year in the league. Give him time. Give them time. And you're going to have a really good rotation on your hands.
2: Yeah. You know, it seems like the Indians, they've never had to go out and spend, spend money on a pitcher in free agency because they've just had so many so much talent come through i mean lj just to think of the a couple of guys off the top of my head that they had and then traded away uh Corey kluber trevor bauer carlos carrasco uh i'm sure there's a lot more i mean i'm just trying to think of who who is their pitchers on their world series team uh back in 2016 uh you know, they had guys like Danny Salazar, if you remember Danny him. Danny
1: Salazar, that's a name.
2: Yeah, let's see. I just pulled up the roster. Josh Tomlin. I mean, these were really solid starters. And their, their pitching has always been one of their strong suits. I mean, oh, a guy that I completely forgot about, LJ. Mike Clevenger. Oh, right, yeah. Like, we – you know, people aren't talking about him because he's hurt. But this is a guy who is, like – a really good pitcher. He hasn't made an all-star He's game. He's really good at
1: throwing the ball.
2: LJ, this guy like go and check out Mike Clevenger's uh ERA plus because he has been way above average pretty much every year of his career since 2017 and I can't wait to see him come back and pitch, but it just proves my point that Kansas or that uh, that Cleveland is such a good system to Develop pitchers that they don't spend a lot of money as it is, and they don't have to because they've had such good talent come through there.
1: They don't have to, but could you imagine if they did? Like how be th-
2: one of the best teams in the league, like actually
1: consistently, consistently too. Because at that point, you don't have to. I mean, it, yes, it's nice to um, focus on developing prospects and developing position player prospects. However, the bulk of them you could trade for. Of course, you identify you identify the top guys, and you find places in your rotation for guys like Shane Bieber. But a whole bunch of these other guys, like Carrasco or Savali, McKenzie, even now, you could legitimately have just not traded Bauer, not traded Clevenger, not traded Kluber, let him kind of. I mean, that that was the right move at that point in time, but like. They absolutely won that
2: trade because they got a manual closet out of that. Yeah.
1: Um, But my point is, like, you could keep a consistent rotation and then trade out those very high-level pitching prospects and actually round out this lineup, which could use its fair share of rounding.
2: Yeah, uh, that is certainly...
1: I'm eyeballing you, Owen Miller, Jake Bowers, Austin Hedges... You Chang. <laughs>
2: uh, all right. On to my guy, Johnny Cueto. Uh, LJ. It's is it fair to say he is both one of our favorite players?
1: Yes. You can jump on the bandwagon.
2: He what he was doing today on the mound? Literally every pitch is some sort of variation of the windup. There is no it's completely con- different. There's, like, five different windups that he just mixes and matches. There's, like, five different, like, sets that he can do. But then there's variations within, like, each way that he does it. He has, like, a very long, elaborated, slow leg kick one. Then he has one where he doesn't even bring his leg up. And it's, like, he's quick pitching. Mm -hmm. Then he does, like, the one where he's, like, turning all the way back around and it's just like basically pausing facing the second baseman he's got one where he throws in the shoulder shake i mean
1: he, there's also one don't forget the leg kick like yes, when he's I, up there when he's got his leg up he's he, he there's one where he uh moves his leg a little bit before he goes down to make i mean it look like he's coming down early
2: uh, I was impressed when, when a Nestor Cortez would throw the sidearm slider out of nowhere, uh, you know, for a guy who would only throw sure. overhand. It was certainly a shocker to see him drop down and throw that sometimes. But what Johnny Cueto can do as a starter, like just go seven innings just completely toying with batters.
0: And go when he seven, is-
2: seven allowing one earned is impressive, and you have to love this guy.
1: Yeah, again, I will say it time and time again. I think I've said it at least three times this week. What we're seeing out of Johnny Cueto since he got hurt isn't like what I'm expecting from Johnny Cueto. I think Johnny Cueto is going to look a lot more like, for some reason, just the way he's throwing the ball, the way he threw the ball to start. I think this year, 2021 Johnny Cueto is going to look much closer to early April Johnny Cueto than it is early May Johnny Cueto. And we just have to wait it out from the injury and from a just rough start here and there because this guy is flat out nasty and again to speak to what you just said there you give him five different sets if he has four different pitches you do four pitches times five sets you're giving the guy 20 different looks in a game plus all the
2: different variations of the stuff that he does like within the sets yeah there's There's just so many different little things that he does on the
1: mound. If his arm could take it, he could go like 20 innings and the guys still would be getting different looks every time I'm up up, up at the plate.
2: And uh, LJ, this is actually a really interesting question. So the the, the Giants, I think, have the most interesting offseason this year. They're up there with – uh the the Nationals, the Yankees, a couple teams. But look, I mean, they have Johnny Cueto on this contract where he's getting paid $21 million this year, and then it's a club option for next year for $22 million, okay? So okay. they have to choose whether or not they're going to uh, exercise that option. He'll be going on his age 36 year next year, okay? They signed Kevin Gosman to the to that qualifying offer, that's, that's, so that's one year, eighteen point nine million. So he'll become a free agent after this year. Both Brandon Belt and Brandon Crawford will be off of their contracts, which both pay them over fifteen million dollars a year, and they will be free agents. They're losing Anthony Desclafani and Aaron Sanchez to free agency, and Alex Wood to free agency. So, in terms of their starting pitching, like who are they going to bring back? Are they going to exercise Cueto's uh, option, and then what are they going to do with all the the money that they're they're losing from Bell and Crawford? Are they or that that they're gaining from those two uh, off their books? Are they going to try to re-sign one of them? I mean, this is like the core of their team that they are shuffling around here in the soft season. And it's going to be really interesting to see what they do after the season.
1: That's part of why it's such a do or die time for this team right now. I mean, if you don't have so many of these guys, what do you have left? I mean, overall, I mean, I think that at that point you might just have to pack it in. If you can't, if you can't keep a competitive roster here, however, I firmly believe that they will yeah, because if they were going to do it this year and make make this big push here with everything that the other two teams in the division added, why would they stop spending money especially after they saw that it worked?
2: And, like, and because they're getting so much off their books after this year anyway.
1: Yeah. Exactly. They they are going to although wait, what'd you say um Crawford's was?
2: So both Belt and Crawford are coming off of contracts that are over 15 million this year.
1: Yeah, at their age, they're not going to get like crazy numbers. However, they're still they're still going to be pretty expensive. Gaussman they're not going to be
2: cheap. Going to be really expensive after the year that he just put up. Like, no, no, uh, no. Kevin Gosman Oh, I, yeah. Because if he's getting nineteen million this year, he's he's going to want twenty five
1: million dollars a year. And oh, you see, I think he's the guy you can't miss.
2: Is 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 he the one that you just overpay and you don't and you just kind of eat the end of that contract, but just so you can have him?
1: Yeah, or you try to go on a Trevor Bauer type deal. I would say that might be the more more of the area to go here if you're willing to, as San Francisco, if you're willing to spend the extra money on the extra money right now. Why don't you bring a couple of these guys that you might be a little worried about giving big time, big bigger contracts to, like a Kevin Gosman, where you're worried, like, hey, I may have to eat some of this. Give him the money on the front end, like a Trevor Bauer, where then you're going for a shorter time but very similar amount. Um, Like, like there's there's ways they can work around this. I just don't think you can miss on bringing back Kevin Gosman if you're the Giants next year. With all he's brought to the table, overall, you have to try your very best within the confines of your finances. But let's make those confines pretty big to bring back everything that they have here.
2: I would say everything except for Brandon Crawford. Uh, and the only reason is because I feel like that they, they should 100% be in contention for one of those shortstops. That's hitting the market, if you're gonna have that money. You're not because you're not gonna wanna pay Brandon Crawford. I mean, look, he's been good this year and is certainly a big part of your franchise. Yeah. Is it financially the best choice to sign him to a multi-year deal? No, like that just doesn't make sense. Especially if you wanna like if you wanna compete with the the Dodgers and Padres. You need to seriously be in contention for one of those big free agent bats, and cutting ties with with Brandon Crawford, I feel like would be a, a smart move if they wanted to go in that direction.
1: You know, I understand where you're coming from. Actually, my first question is, what's Evan Longoria's contract look like right now?
2: That is a great question. Longoria not
1: saying to cut him. Okay,
2: so he. Okay. Gets paid eighteen point six mil this year, nineteen point six mil next year, and then a thirteen thirteen million dollar club option for twenty twenty three.
1: Okay, so that's that's actually really
2: good. So, like, so he he's on the team through twenty twenty three. There's no reason why they wouldn't pick up that option, especially
1: especially people. with if he's having a, our kind of career renaissance right now. You're right. There is no reason for them not to bring him by. I just, you know, I understand what you're saying here, Brandon, and you're right. However, I think if you're the Giants, you have to think about overall competition window. The other thing we have talked about them again, the Giants are probably my favorite National League team. At this point, I do want to see them be successful. However, being realistic here. I don't see a lot that's moving the needle for me prospect-wise. I don't see a lot that's moving me to say that this team has a future past another four years.
2: Uh, Can I argue the prospect thing real quick? Sure. Uh, They have a top 10 prospect in the league as a hitter.
1: Yeah, I see see him. Again, further further, um, justification, Uh, Marco Luciano – further justification not to bring in a shortstop
2: very fair um, but,
1: um, but my, my point is like I don't I don't I don't see a full team there like yeah there's not enough there for me to say okay this team is going to be able to bounce back in a couple years and just keep churning out bringing bring a new group in I think they're going to need a minute before they're going to have another championship run out of this they're going to need more out of this farm system than than what they have so why wouldn't you then bring Brandon Crawford back if you're able to get him for like three years rather than have to sign a guy like say Corey Seager if he wants to stay on the west coast but the Dodgers won't pay him you're giving Corey Seager a seven-year deal like that's not going to help you here you know yeah Like you're just going to end up having to sit there with him doing a a whole lot of nothing, or you're going to have to trade him in the back half of his contract. And I just don't think that's necessarily the most constructive thing. However, it's certainly an option for them. They've got a lot of options. They've got a lot of guys coming off the books and a lot of options of how to bring them back or replace them. I'll be interested to see what they do. Brandon, do you think it's about time we wrap it up and push the – hall of fame for the houston astros tomorrow
2: yeah sure uh as for the the leaderboards there's only two things i wanted to talk about first there's a four-way tie for home runs now uh between ronald acuna jr adolis garcia vladimir guerrero jr and fernando tatis jr uh all with 16 and then as for the pitching pitching ERA, top three is Jacob DeGrom at 0.71, Brandon Woodruff at 1.27, Kevin Gaussman at 1.40. But, yeah, that is going to do it for this episode of the MLB Daily Podcast. Thank you for listening to us. Uh, make sure that you will leave us a rating, a nice uh, like, whatever uh, you can do to help support us. Uh, Also, you can actually support us by going to our show Twitter at MLB Daily Pod, participating in our daily trivia game that we post. Uh, The winner at the end of the year gets a free, a belly up sports t-shirt and the entire MLB Daily line when slash if is out by then but um
1: oh there'll be something out by then it's just a matter of how much
2: yeah uh but you can find out all that on the at mlb daily pod on twitter at mlb daily pod i'm at brandon underscore carom and lj is at lj underscore vp underscore la fiora but uh that's gonna do it for this one thank you for listening uh, we will see you tomorrow. Have a good Tuesday.
1: See you manana. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest
2: place you've gotten lucky.
1: Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office.
0: Join now and you'll see why 92% of households that start the year with Peloton are still active a year later. All access membership separate. Offer ends January 8th, 2023. Excludes Bike, Bike Plus, and Tret Basics. See additional terms at OnePeloton.com.